Um, okay. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to just settle over us right now because we're going to go for an encounter that hopefully will change your life today. And our hope is always that when we come together, we encounter Jesus to such a degree and such a level that we become more like Jesus having come together and worshipped Him and heard His Word and experienced the impartation of His Spirit. And I want to honor and thank all of those of you over the months that have shared the Word of the Lord in this place with such passion. I've had so many great reports of testimonies, of sharing, and I honor you guys. I honor you, Chuck, for the way you've shared the Word of God in this place. It's been great. I've, I've heard tremendous reports. And Paul and Mike and Paul Glazer and all of you, I am so grateful for the supernatural grace of God that's going on in this place right now. I mean, it is stunning. You can't look at this and not sense and see God moving. If you, if you have the right glasses to see it. So I'm going to pray for the Spirit of the Lord to move. And we're going to have an encounter with the Lord today. Now we prayed and did this back in El Paso and Juarez. And a lot of the kids came, the Snowbarger guys and, and some of the others and the Neals. And we had an open heaven hit us on Saturday night and on Sunday morning. And it changed lives. Because when we encounter the Lord, we're never the same. A greater increase of His presence gets through us and in us. And we become more like Him. We saturate in His glory. So Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we declare the kingdom of God is here. That Jesus is here. That You opened heaven. That the curtain in the old temple in Jerusalem was torn. Which means an open heaven is to come to your people. We recognize there's an open heaven. We recognize there's a throne of grace that we can come boldly to. And Father, I see that throne in my spirit, man, right now. And I recognize that that throne of grace is an open to me and to everyone in this room through the blood of Jesus. That that is grace that we get to by faith, not by works. Oh God, I thank you today for what you're doing in Kansas City right now. And I welcome the purpose, the purpose and the person of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, glory to God. You guys, if you're sensitive, you can sense the Spirit of God moving even now. And something electric is going on. Something powerful is going on in us right now. There's a great prophetic promise over Kansas City. A great apostolic purpose over Kansas City and over your life. And you want to tap into that promise and that purpose for your own life because you're a part of the story of what God's doing. You're important to the story. Okay? Now, right now in human history, in holy history, in church history, we are in what many, many leaders agree to be the second great reformation of the church. There's, a, there's, a, there's an agreement across the body of Christ. Something massive is going on in the church today. It's historic. And you've got to know and discern what's going on. And I want to just give you three or four points that mark this transformation. Now the first great reformation was 500 years ago. And it was led by people named Luther and Zwingli and Calvin. And they discovered a truth in the Bible. It was always there. But the, but the religious spirit blinded them from seeing the body of Christ now. Seeing the truth that was in the Word. So a religious spirit was locking down and limiting the church. And it was saying in essence it was a lie. You have to earn your way into God. You have to work your way to God. You have to be good in order to get God. And it was a returning back to the law. And it was, it was being held, um, it was gripping the church through the Roman Catholic institution. Alright, so along comes a priest in the Catholic church. His name was Martin Luther. 
and he realized that you're not saved by penance, you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace through faith. And so he says, I place my faith in the grace of God, the finished work of the cross, what Jesus did, and I am now saved because I trust in God's grace, not because of my works. And he went out and wrote a bunch of points about that and nailed them to the Wittenberg door, and it started a revolution in the body of Christ. It was called the Great Reformation. The church broke away from this religious deception that was locking down the church. And they rediscovered the gospel of grace. But that gospel was more like, I'm a sinner, oh God, save the wretch like me, you know, amazing grace. And it was really grace getting me out of hell and into heaven. There was a limitation on how they viewed the work of grace. So 500 years ago, all we had... Basically, the church got a fresh look at the goodness of God, and that one revelation changed the course of history. How many, how many, is that amazing? And now, pretty much across the board, even many Roman Catholics would say, we're saved by grace through faith, and not because of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I mean, that's almost, that war, that battle against that religious demon has been won largely in the body of Christ. Would you guys agree with that? Like we all know that if we receive Jesus into our hearts, we, He is grace. Jesus is grace, the goodness of God. And when we receive Jesus into our hearts, we are now saved, which is we're made right with God. And we have access to God through Jesus by faith. Pretty much everybody believes that. So that was 500 years ago, and we're still riding the wave of that breakthrough 500 years ago through guys like Zwingli and Martin Luther. How many of you think that's amazing? Okay, so all the Baptists, all the Presbyterians, all the Lutherans, all the Methodists, all those of us, that, and I was a part of the Presbyterian Church, all of us, we were Reformed believers. We're all Reformed believers, so to speak. Now, Today, right now in human history, there is another massive reformation going on in the body of Christ. And it is also a spiritual warfare. There's a lot of warfare over breaking the church out of and into what it was always destined to be. Because the religious spirits are, are, the, are the worst enemy of grace. Religious spirits try to limit and contain God's ability to do what He wants. And it creates a man-made script that people have to follow, and it restricts and restrains what God can or can't do. That's a religious spirit. And God wants to blow the religious spirits off the church so that we can walk in the fullness of what Jesus died for. How many of you think that's awesome? So there's a couple are three major revelations that are, that are being unleashed now to the church. And it's not wholesale being received. Just to be honest, it's, there's a war going on. These, the religious spirits that have entrenched themselves in the church are battling against the breakthrough to, to get us forward in God. There's a big battle going on in the body of Christ. You may not be aware of it, but trust me, it affects you. Just like you were, you know, the people in Germany and Switzerland and Scotland weren't aware of the significance of the breakthrough of Martin Luther and John Knox. They weren't aware of the importance. But once they got the benefit of it, believe you me, they were thankful that somebody paid the price. Somebody, some forerunner went ahead and said, I'm going to buy this truth even though it's unpopular and I could get killed for it. You know what I mean? And they did get killed for it. The guy that just said, let's interpret the Bible in the language that people can understand. Let's get it out of Latin and get it into a common man's language. That guy died for that one commitment. He was burned at the stake as a heretic because he simply wanted everybody to read the Bible. You guys get that? Okay, so this is a big deal. When we're talking about a breakthrough in human history... We're talking about something that will, that is affecting your life 
if you will believe it. If you'll see it and believe it. How many of you want to hear a couple of those points? Okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to only camp out on one of them, but I'm going to give you a couple of them. And I'm going to work a bit backwards. One of the greatest breakthroughs right now that's happening in the body of Christ is a new revelation, which is in the Bible, by the way. It's not new. It's new to us, but it's not new in the Bible. Just like the gospel isn't new, but it's in, it's in the Bible. It's we're rediscovering the gospel of the kingdom of God. And when we understand the gospel of the kingdom of God, we're getting a new eschatology, and I call it a hopeful eschatology. Because back four or five hundred years ago, the conviction was, and, the, and actually this developed in the early turn of the century, that basically God is disgusted with the world, and He really wants to judge the world, and what He wants to do is rapture everybody off the planet and get them out of this hellhole. So basically it created a mindset of a negative eschatology. And eschatology is a word for last days. And it says, it's a negative eschatology that says, God just wants to get us out of here so he can blow up the earth and everything that's important is going to happen in heaven after Christ returns. But nothing important is going to happen now. That is honestly a popular worldview. When I went to being a missionary in Myanmar, I began to meet the body of Christ. Every single believer that came out of the denominational backgrounds, Presbyterian, Baptist, every single one of them did not believe the kingdom was on the earth right now. They all believed that the kingdom was coming only after Jesus returned. When the, that's when the action starts. Every single one of them did not have a biblical gospel of the kingdom of God. So guess what? The whole goal was just get people out of hell and into heaven. Just get people converted so they don't go to hell. But there was no kingdom vision to bring the kingdom into Myanmar. It was just get people saved, quote, get them saved, and then wait around to get more people saved, and wait around to get more people saved. But the concept, the, but discipleship and bringing the kingdom into the seven mountains of influence, so to speak, None of that was there because the kingdom wasn't here. So you don't get excited about making history if you don't believe there's going to be history. Amen. You get my point? You're just waiting around to get out of here. Now the rapture doctrine was big in my day. I came to Jesus in 1971. And this guy named Hal Lindsey came up and he said, the great plate, great, late great planet Earth. And it was a spooky eschatology of get the heck out of here. And all my hippie friends that met Jesus, just like me, I had long hair and beads too, by the way. I know it's hard to believe, but I was a hippie, semi-hippie. I was a jock musical hippie. I was kind of a holistic hippie. And, and my fr I read that book, and you guys remember the movie? The movie uh, was, uh, ah, what was the movie? Left Behind, thank you, Chuck. You would know. You would know of all people. And Left Behind scared the bejeebies out of us because all of a sudden everybody was lifted out of their car. Their cars were running into telephone poles because they were being raptured. And all, most of my friends, because they didn't think there was going to be any history, future history, they stopped living and guess what they did? They ran up their credit cards. They said, Jesus is coming back any, any minute. So they didn't go get educated. They didn't go get trained. They didn't have a vision for the future. They didn't think about the kingdom long term. It's like, we're waiting around until we get whoop, zipped out of the planet. And that's, that's the story, is escapism. And since we were good at escaping, we were really good at escaping, that fit our party. We'll just party until we get lifted out of here. And I know so many people that did not work on their trade skills, work on their long-term vision, get educated, get a grip. They got minimum wage jobs, ran up their credit cards, and stopped living with a vision for generational transfer because they had a what I call a spooky, dangerous eschatology.
of the last days. How many of you tra tracking with what I'm saying? Ideas have consequences, beloved. What you believe and think will alter your life. What you think and believe is major. You can be lulled to sleep by religious spirits. I believe personally that was a religious spirit that hit the church, seduced the church out of a kingdom vision so that a bunch of energetic and fiery boomers would go to sleep and not invest in bringing the kingdom on earth. Talk about a demon. And these are all Bible-believing, smart people. Now along comes a guy named George Ladd. And he saw the Word of God. He saw, no, the kingdom is now, and it's not yet. It's an ever-expanding reality. The kingdom of God is, we have a long time on this planet. And we are, everything we do matters because it bleeds into eternity. And so George Ladd wrote a book about the kingdom of God. And he debunked this fundamentalist, dysfunctional, spooky eschatology. He tore it down. He wrote a book and tore it down from the Word of God with good theology. John Wimber got a hold of that book. And he goes, George Ladd, you just told me that the kingdom is here and, and that means that if the, if the Holy Spirit's here, the finger of God's still here, that means we can still cast out demons and heal the sick. And we can bring the kingdom of God in power. And we can power evangelism. Whoa! So... John Wimber became a practitioner of George Ladd's theology. Are you tracking with me? And he goes, if, it's, if I can still do the stuff, let's go do the stuff. And so he began a class called Signs, Wonders, and Church Growth. And he went around the world reconvincing evangelicals that the kingdom of God is here and now and it's an ever-expanding reality, and he changed the worldview of the body of Christ. Now, not all of the body of Christ, there's still a lot of cessationists out there that don't think the gifts are for today, but a lot more people believe God is working today because the kingdom of God is here. Because one guy, well, and it wasn't just one guy, but a number of people broke through and saw the word of God in a fresh way. How many of you glad they did? You'd be still sitting around on your hands doing nothing. You wouldn't be laying your hands on the sick. You wouldn't be praying in tongues. You wouldn't be moving in signs and wonders if those guys would not have re had a new fresh set of glasses to read the Bible correctly. But guess what? That revelation got me kicked out of the denomination. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now even though it was in the archives of our denomination... Our, our denomination officially received the gifts. No one was practicing them. So you can have a theology and no praxis. It's called practice. Praxis. Praxis. You can have good theological propositions and no practice. So we don't want that. So what I'm telling you right now is on, in a major way, not a little way, God is trying to slap the church back into substance, substantial reality and say, look, the kingdom of God is here. Yes. And not only that, I want to bring the kingdom in the marketplace. I want to bring the kingdom in the arts. I want to bring the kingdom in media. I want to bring the kingdom in, 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 in yeah, I want to bring the kingdom in families and in the inner city especially. This is a favorite kind of place. The place that looks like there's no hope. The place that looks so confused and demonized and disgusting, God goes, that's my kind of place because I can showboat my grace right here. You want to see my, my supernatural grace? I'm coming to the hood. Y'all in the suburbs, God bless you. But here is where I'm going to do my best stuff. That's why Nancy and Craig drive here all the time. They're not stupid. All right, yes, he's moving in the hood. I'm just out of the suburb, suburbs. But there's something special when you deal with broken places. And so the kingdom of God is coming in every area of life. And everything you do now affects eternity. That's right. You, you give a cup of cold water to a poor, broken street person, 
Do you understand you give a cup of cold water to a thirsty person in the streets and say, this is Jesus' love. Have a drink. Do you know that that goes into your resume? That moves into eternity? That's called stewarding. That's called ruling and reigning. That's called taking authority over the dark realm. You're a daughter, a son of the Most High God, beloved. You are not of the first Adam. You are of the last Adam. You have been... Paul says this, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul says, my false self has been crucified with Christ. I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I'm a new creation daughter. I'm a new creation son. I'm of the last Adam. I'm a new race. A holy priesthood. And, and you know what? When you change, when your nature changes, just because you have some residue of the first Adam floating around inside your soul, that doesn't mean that, that you are still a sinner saved by grace. Well, I mean, what, still a sinner. You're now a saint. You're a saint that makes mistakes and does sin. But you're a saint. You're a child of God. Okay, so that's one massive revolution that's going on in the body of Christ. How many of you are happy that it's happening? Yeah, I'm happy it's happening because I get to now be fully alive and I don't get to wait around until I'm whoops, raptured off the planet. I get to build the kingdom right now, every minute, all the time with everyone. And a religious spirit wants to talk me out of doing that. And they want to talk you out of doing that. And they say, well, you know, you cannot act apostolic because you're not an apostle. I want to tell you today, you can act apostolic right now. Uh, you, can't, you can't give a word of the Lord, you're not a prophet. Whoa, stop. Start prophesying. Yeah. Well, you can't, you, you know, you can't be a shepherd because you don't have a seminary degree or Bible college. Stop it. Love somebody. Let's all be shepherds. Let's all be apostles. Let's all be prophets. Let's all be teachers. How about that one? In other words, the apostle is in you. The prophet is in you. The teacher is in you. The shepherd is in you. Get it? The prophet is in you. So why not just go crazy? And so maybe at the end of your life, well, I don't know as if I could say I had the residential gift of apostolic life. But I sure, got, I sure tried to act like one, and now and then the grace of God dropped on me, and I did something awesome. I brought something out of nothing with the family of God. Now that's awesome. In other words, let's lift the encumbrances off our hearts. Let's lift the unbelief out of our souls. And let's learn divine order. Let's learn divine order. Meaning, let's intimacy first, impact second. Family first, army second. Let's learn divine order. But that's not an encumbrance. That's just the ways of God. That's just the ways of God, right? That's just the ways of God. All right, now, that's just the kingdom. I haven't even mentioned the four or five other big deals. Do you realize how significant this is? Okay, I'm going to give you another one. And I'm not going to get into this because you've heard me talk about it. And it's all, we got videos about it and training on it. One of the greatest transitions that's going on in the church is out of a more meeting-based, program-based design and into organic relationships and family where we connect heart-to-heart and release the love of Jesus between each other and we transmit God's grace through connected hearts versus finding God in a meeting with someone, you know, with only one person that's legitimate. So what God's doing is he's debunking the holy man in the holy hour in the holy building with a holy program. He's blowing that up. That's that's not a good day for churches that are built on the holy man, the holy building, the holy hour, and the holy program, right? That's a scary thought if your whole existence is invested in in a system of programs. But God's coming around and He's like, why would you restrict me to one person for one hour in one building through one program when I want to take over my planet. I want everybody 
to be a priest and a prophet and a king. I want everybody to be the church, not go to church. I want everybody to be in the family of God. I want everybody to play. I want everybody to play. Let's go play. Let's go have fun. All the time. Everywhere. With everyone. Church is who we are, not where we go. Wow. I mean, do you understand that that's one of the most significant transformations that are taking place right now in the church? It's, it's, it's not a good day, in my opinion, to be a professional program runner. When inside of every human being is an agitation to get out of the cage and into the kingdom. Get me out of here! I need to do Jesus all the time! Get me out of here! People are agitated. People are frustrated with the system. Would you not agree with that? And they're being called rebellious. They're going to, they're, they're having a talk and say, hey, look, can we just meet together and open our hearts and, and break bread together and love Jesus together and, and call that church? And they go, absolutely not. You cannot do that. Well, can't, why not? Well, because I'm not there. I've got to control this. What do you mean? You get my point? And we're going, but, but, but well, we love Jesus and we want to do Jesus all the time and we want to read the Word and we want to release the grace of God to each other and we all have words and we all want to love and they're going, well, you, you rebellious person. You cannot do this. I don't know what, I don't know what nationality I was channeling. <laughs> but I thought it was awesome. I, but I think all of my attempts at translating are awesome and my kids just find it humorous alright you get the point you get the point that I'm a goofball one that's the biggest point that I'm a goofball but you get the point that Jesus is liberating the church to be the church all the time everywhere is that exciting but you know what you think you're, you're going yes and amen but the fact is most everybody out there isn't being permitted to walk like that because they're being told that they're not legit one way or another they're being told that unless it's official and we approve and this and that and you can't do it now again there is a place for elders there is a place for leaders but the real place is to equip you to do the work of ministry and to create a safe you know to safen things up so you don't kill yourselves and other people because trust me, most people are so broken that when they do get into intentional community, the storming period hits and people get naughty and uh, the next thing you know, they're blowing up and imploding because they're all, you know, hurt and agitated and orphaned. Okay. Everybody get what I just said? Like there's enough orphanness in you to choke a whale. And on a naughty day, with some bad influences, you could blow up a good family gathering just by being naughty. So there is a place for loving mothers and fathers and, uh, and elders and deacons and apostles. There's a place to initiate covenant, to sustain it, to protect it, and to extend it. There's a role of leadership, but it's not to control per se, it's to protect. It's to empower. It's to, unle- it's to equip. You get the difference? Okay, so don't just say, well, leaders are all bad, so screw leaders and, you know, life's better without leadership. No. The answer to bad leadership is not no leadership. It's just good leadership that feels like Jesus. That's, that, now that's safe. That creates safety for us. So when I talk about leadership now, when I'm, not, when I'm talking about God releasing the whole church, I'm not saying anarchy, chaos, and overreacting to controlling leaders. I'm saying God wants to do something great. It's still going to involve leaders, but a new breed of leaders. A way new breed of leaders. All right, now that's, that's another point. Now the point I want to get at, which I don't have time, but I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to take a minute to explain it. Is that we had a, revel- a releasing of grace round one 500 years ago. There is a whole new surge of upgrade on God wanting to tell us how good He is and how gracious He is. There's another level of grace that God wants to communicate to the church today. 
And it's not just the kind of grace that gets you out of hell and into heaven. It's the kind of grace that enables you to rule and reign in life. You can't be who you're supposed to be without the grace of God. The grace of God doesn't just get you out of hell and into heaven. The grace of God transforms you into Christ's likeness. And if you don't comprehend just how big and great and awesome God is, you're not going to go to the throne of grace to experience all the liquid life that's flowing from His throne. So I want to read a verse to you. All right? Uh, I've got a lot of verses, but time. Let's go to Romans 5. By the way, I am glad that we're in the second great reformation. Are you guys glad about that? Like you're in the middle of making history. If you hear by the Spirit of God what I'm saying to you this morning, you will never be the same. You will view yourself totally different. And you will not look at yourself through the lens of the first Eve and the first Adam that fell. You will look through yourself through the lens of Jesus Christ who has transformed your very nature and has called you into sonship. And guess what He's doing? He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Meaning He's transforming you from glory to glory into His likeness. And it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what mistakes you made. It doesn't matter how much you've hurt people or been hurt. It doesn't matter. Yesterday is irrelevant. The grace of the, yesterday is under the blood of Jesus. Yes? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of grace. And it says in Hebrews 4, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Grace, beloved, is now. It is now. It's not yesterday. Yesterday's over. What do you need about yesterday? You need it covered in blood and move on. You don't need to be reminded of all your errors and all your mistakes. You need to learn from them. You need to identify them and grow from them. You need to get wisdom from them, but you don't need to let them bury you in shame and guilt. Amen. Neither do you need to do that to somebody else by rehearsing their yesterday mistakes. That's not helpful. In fact, that puts law on their flesh and makes them worse. What your job is to do is to tell them who they are in God now and unleash the grace of God now and move in grace now. Grace is always now. It's not even tomorrow. How's that one? You are going to get grace tomorrow, of course. But grace can only be experienced now. So let me read my Bible verse. By the way, we are a family that is going to embrace the fullness of what God is doing in the earth today. That's who we are. That's the kind of tribe we want to be. And that's why I submit to so many leaders around the world because I don't want to be arrogant and miss the grace of God. Because God gives grace to the humble. And I want to be humble because I want all the grace for myself and for you that we can get. So we're going to submit to the Jesus in a lot of people. Because that's intelligent spiritually. So Romans 5, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. Now the word gift in the Bible is always referred to as charis. That's the Greek word for gift. Charis. Everybody say charis. That's the, now you know Greek. Say, man, I, knew, I learned Greek today. I learned the word charis. How many of you have heard the word charismatic movement? Have you ever heard that word? Okay, it's charismatic movement, meaning the, the gift movement. So charis is a large word in Scripture. It doesn't just mean gifts. It means joy. It means thanksgiving, depending on the context. It means grace meaning all the goodness of God that pours out of God. God is good. How many of you believe that? Well, then let's say it. God is good. How about this? God is really good. God is really good. He's really good. And that's what the church is discovering today. He's not just kind of good to get you, know, get you in fire insurance. 
That's good. I, I'm glad for fire insurance. But God is so good that He will unleash His liquid love, His gifts. The, the fruit of the Spirit is an expression of the grace of God. Which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. When you have the jacuzzi of agape love flowing through your spirit, the liquid love of God flowing supernaturally through you so that you like even your enemy, you love them. It's like, now that is not my false self doing that. I'll guarantee you. I want to kill them. But your spirit man, your spirit woman full of the grace of God, they want to love people. Alright, so, the gift is not like the trespass. And Paul is talking here about um, the first Adam and the last Adam. And he says, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam and Eve, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So sin was really sinful. And the depth, we were deprived and really deprived. And Jesus came along and says, you can't save yourself. But you are in the first Adam, and now I'm going to put you in the last Adam. And now you are in Christ. And when Christ died, you died. And when Christ was buried, you were buried. When Christ was raised, you were raised. And when Christ ascended, you ascended. And when Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. You are now in Christ. So He died your death. You died with Christ. Was the work on the cross finished? Was it finished? Yes, it was finished. Jesus did everything that needed to happen for you to become forgiven by God. Is that true? Did all the wrath of God, the judicial wrath of God, land on Jesus Christ at the cross? So is there any more wrath that He needs to put onto your life? Did all the wrath go on Christ? Are you in Christ? Is that finished then? Is God about giving you wrath? No. That, that moment in time is over. Now God's about giving you mercy and grace. And it says He draws us with His kindness. He doesn't motivate you with fear and wrath. He motivates you with kindness. By His affections, He woos you into the reality of His goodness. The gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift uh, followed many trespasses and brought justification. Now, Old Testament prophecy, the goal of Old Testament prophecy is to condemn someone as a sinner and to put the law on them and tell them how they sucketh. A New Testament prophet does not have the ministry of condemnation and judgment and accusation. A New Testament prophet says, I have the... I'm going to declare and decree you righteous before God. You're forgiven before God. A New Testament prophet is a good news prophet. An Old Testament prophet is a bad news prophet. You're screwed, buddy. A New Testament prophet comes along and says, you're redeemed, buddy. You're set free. You're a new creation. You're right before God. Well, well wait a minute. You know, I have all these problems in my life. And, and today in the church, there's confusion. You've got people walking around doing the ministry of condemnation in a New Testament era. And they think they're profound and discerning. You know what they are? They're channeling the accuser of the brethren. They're partnering with hell. Anytime you have, you're burping up negative information about yourself or other people, you're in league with a religious spirit. You're not going to help them whatsoever telling them how they stinketh. You're going to tell them how they're right before God and release the grace of God to their life. That's a New Testament prophet. We don't have the ministry of condemnation in this house. We have the ministry of righteousness. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Have, have you guys ever heard that phrase, reigning in life? How many of you have ever heard the phrase, reign in life? Raise your hand. 
How many of you have never heard that phrase, reign in life? I want you to be honest and raise your hand. Reigning in life. Okay, now we're going to read this verse together. This is probably one of the more important Bible verses. Well, they're all important. But here we go. We're going to read this out loud together. It's going to be kind of chaotic, but let's do it. Starting at verse 17. I want you to read from whatever translation you have. I want you to read this Bible verse. Romans 5, 17. Here we go. Ready? For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Wow, beloved. Wow. What's the conditions for reigning in life? Well, first of all, what's reigning in life? Reigning in life is when you come over your circumstances with the grace and perspective of heaven. You see, let me tell you something. I said this to Sarah, my daughter, the other day. Your, pro your problems aren't your circumstances. Your problems are how you perceive your circumstances. Okay? One of the coolest things I love about Paul, we were out in front today, uh, yesterday, and there was a guy probably full of schizophrenia and demons, screaming at the air, slamming like he was a metal scrapper, and he's pulling metal out of the dumpster. And I mean, he's having a wild conversation, isn't he, Paul? Yeah. Like he's ranting and raving and screaming and foaming, and this guy was out of control crazy. And I'm like, wow, what do we do with this guy? You know what Paul's first default was? What does God want us to do about this guy? That was his first reaction. What does God want to do? In other words, it's not our circumstances that are going to define our reality. It's what is God going to do to come over the top of that reality and insert his grace. His default was go to grace. Go to God because God can change every circumstance and every person. So why would we let circumstances control our emotions and our mindset? Why would we be dictated to by a demon, by a crazy person, and by a weirdo situation? When are we going to stop viewing life as humanoids and start viewing life as saints that are seated with Christ in heavenly places and bring heaven to earth? When are we going to do that? Right now, huh? Right now. You know what you're going to do? You're going to have your mind changed right now and you're going to go, wait a minute, I'm a daughter of the Most High God. I'm a son of the Most High God. I have access to the throne of God. I am abil the ability to throw pull the grace of God into my life. I think I'm going to stop acting like the first Adam and Eve. I think like I don't have any resources. I'm going to stop pouting, grumbling, moaning, groaning, and being negative because all of that is of the first Adam. I am going to look at life through the lens of the gospel of grace. And I'm going to bring the God factor to bear on everything and stop limiting God because He's good and He's powerful. Now, beloved, that is, the, that is an upgrade of the gospel of grace. There are no limitations on the greatness, the goodness, the awesomeness of God for you right now. So Paul says, bottom line, let's get some grace right now because we don't have a clue what to do. We are in over our heads. We don't have a clue what to do with this guy. We, we kind of said, God, what do you want us to do? And we didn't get any conclusive answer. We just sat there. And the next thing you know, the guy calms down and walks off. We didn't have to do a thing. But we invited angels. We invited the Spirit of God. We opened the door to grace. We came to the throne of grace and said, we will not let this weirdness dictate our inner condition. And what would happen if a church like ours walked around as sons and daughters of God accessing that level of grace? What do you think? Would that be fun? Because there's no limit on those people. Now guess what? Jesus is grace. That's what it says here. Jesus is grace. Is there a limit on Jesus? Can Jesus do anything? Anytime? In any way? Do we have to get a big old script and a program and then comply with a script in the program or can we just trust Jesus? Now that doesn't mean there are principles. That doesn't mean there isn't wisdom. That doesn't mean stuff like that. But we want to be Jesus-animated, Jesus-driven people. That's why Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I live. 
It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the deal. Grace, reigning in life, is coming over your circumstances, not under them. So you reign from a position of heaven. So hell wants to bait you and pull you down into a lesser story and get you to believe a creepy, crappy story and you're trapped by a creepy, crappy story and if you swirl in a creepy, crappy story then you don't access grace. Now, your reality becomes the creepy and the crappy. How many of you have ever been seduced into the creepy and the crappy? All the time. I mean, come on, it happens to me. And I've been trying to struggle with and understand grace for a long time. But now and then the devil takes me off guard and the thing gets so overwhelming, so intense, and people are so goofy and naughty that I think, oh my God, God isn't big enough to override their, this creepy and this crappy and that naughty. Like, this is, this is like, oh my God, this is, this is oh, oh, not even God can solve this problem. You get my point? The spirit of fear. Exactly. Which results in control. When I get afraid, now I've got to be in control. I've got to seize. Every, I've got to control everything I can around me. Do you know how hard it is to live a life like that? Where you have now reinserted yourself as the Lord of the universe and you're in control over everything, right? You're like, you can, like you really can control everything. Well, by golly, I'll just control it all. Then you become um, uh, not fun. Because you were designed to be a very good God. You're not a, when you try to control things, you're not in a good mood. It isn't fun. Yes? It's not fun. So here it is. Reigning in life means you come over these nasty, naughty, negative search situations and you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And now from that vantage point, you could take authority over the situation. That's reigning in life. How many of you think that's fun? Amen. Yes! 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 And this is the gospel that's beyond just getting saved. This is really getting saved. This is saved on steroids. Because the word saved is sozo in the Greek. Everybody say sozo. Second Greek word you've learned today. What was the first one? Second one? Sozo. That means to be made whole. It doesn't just mean I'm you know, out getting fire insurance. It means to be made whole into Christ's likeness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Write it down. I've been saved, sozoed, by what? Grace. Everybody say grace. It is the gift of God. Not because of works. Don't mix it. Don't mix. Don't have a hamburger helper. Don't mix works and grace. That's what religious spirits want you to do. They want you to add to grace some kind of thing that you've got to do in order to be sure it's right. Do you get my point? That's a religious spirit. The church is full of admixture. You've got to believe in grace, but you know what? you still got to go out and be a good person on your own power. Or we don't accept you. That is not grace, beloved. You mix it up with something you've got to work for. It's no longer a gift, is it? If I say, hey, look, you can have my phone as a gift, and then I say, hey, but would you hand me a hundred bucks? Well, you know my phone's worth more than a hundred bucks, but it's the minute I ask for something, it's, it stops. Yeah, like, you don't want my monthly bill at all. It, it, the minute I ask even for one dollar, it stops being a gift, doesn't it? So the devil comes into the church and he wants to add mixture. He wants to say, it's not just grace, it's grace plus something else. It's grace, something else. And so you're not qualified to take, let's say, communion because you're not good enough. You're not good enough to take it because you've got to obtain certain things as a body and as a person before you can do that. See, do you understand what I mean? That's mixture. You have direct access to the communion table. You have direct access to God through Jesus right now. Yes? Yes. yes. And the biggest enemy of the message of grace is religion. But the biggest enemy to religion is grace. Did you guys understand what I just said? Okay, this is a mouthful. I've got to end right now. How do you get grace? 
It says in this passage, you don't work for it. What do you do, Mike? You receive it. Everybody say receive. 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 It's, free. it's free. You receive it. Now receiving, the act of receiving is faith. And it's radical faith. Sometimes this grace is all out there and you don't know it. You have to go in after it. Now that's not works. That's faith. That's faith. Let me explain this. How many of you have a car? Or a truck? Or a bus? Or a bicycle? Whatever. You have a vehicle of transportation. Let's imagine that that vehicle that you so love and are still paying for, most of us, let's imagine that vehicle is called grace. Now it's all there for you. Engine, transmission, motor, everything. Clicker, brakes, gas pedals, steering wheels. And it can take you from one place to another and you don't have to, you don't have to work, you just get transported to another place. Everybody said, isn't carness a wonderful thing? So that's grace, that's rolling grace. Now, how do you get that grace to work for you? What do you got to do to make that grace work? What do you got to do? You simply, you faith your way through, you faith your way and appropriate grace and you do it now. You put the key in the car, you open it up. You get in the car, you turn it on. You, you, you turn the steering wheel, you push the gas. You're not working, you're faithing. You're accessing the grace by faith. A very different concept. If you're striving, if you're gut grinding, if you're out of rest, you are, you are now working, you're not in faith. If there is a lack of rest in your spirit, man, you're adding hamburger helper to your life. The, the way you know that you're operating in faith is if your inner being is full of rest, full of shalom. You're faithing in the reality of God. Now, we receive the gift of grace and righteousness, and that's how we reign in life. You reign in life by the power of another. Do you understand what I just said? You reign in life by what power? The power of Jesus, who is grace. Is this gospel amazing? How are we going to bring the kingdom into the marketplace? By works or by grace? Now that doesn't mean we won't show up and provide effort, but inside us we'll know we're being lubricated and animated by the grace of God. Do you get the difference? You, will, you may push a shovel, but it's not like you working. You're, you're, that's, never mind. You'll, have, you'll, you'll expend energy, but not work. You will be laboring in yourself. You'll be cooperating with the grace of God in your life. All right, now, what I want to do is have you stand, and I want to pray a release of the grace of God onto you. And what I, what I want to do is as a symbol of this grace, because I'm learning from Sherry now, the power of visual aids and sensual experiences. So Sherry, why don't you come here and Paul and Chuck and, and Mike and, and some of you and, and Chris come over here and Michael, Mike Whited and Paul come up here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rub Jason and, and Sarah and Janet. I'm going to rub you down and Wendy. I'm going to rub you down with some of this oil. And we're going to know that this oil is a symbol of the oil of the Holy Spirit. It's, an oil, it's, a, it's a symbol of grace. Come on up, Laura, you too. Come on up. Craig and Nancy, you come up. We're gonna, and I'm going to rub you down with this, and then you're going to go around the congregation, if you don't mind, if I'm asking permission, and you're going to release the grace of God onto them, and it's going to have three expressions. Okay? Three major expressions of the grace of God. Everybody say fruit. fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Everybody say wisdom. wisdom. The wisdom of the Spirit. Everybody say revelation. revelation. The revelation of the Spirit. You need your missile guidance system intact. How about everybody say power. power? We need the power. 
Okay, all four of those are evidences of Jesus. Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit. He is love. And Jesus is joy. Jesus is wisdom, yeah? Jesus is revelation. That's where we get it. Jesus is power. Power of Jesus. Okay, so you guys ready? As the music goes, I want you to just to pray and bless people. Smell that. Ooh. Ooh, grace. And what you're going to do is say, I bless you with grace. Now receive grace. How many of you need grace for your marriages? You need grace called money. You need grace called help. Ah, that's grace. How many of you are in over your head? Of course you're in over your head. You were never made to live life without the grace of God. The whole thing is supernatural. Say supernatural. You guys, the Christian life is supernatural. There's nothing natural about it. It's either all grace or it's nothing. Religion adds hamburger helper. Right? Who wants religion? So let's say no to religion. I want all Jesus, all Jesus. I don't want to be bewitched by religion and go back to law. So say, in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of religion that undermines the gospel of grace to be gone from my life. I sever myself because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross from all spirits of performance from fear from control from manipulation from intimidation I break the power of the demonic by the, by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross I am a daughter or son of the most high who is animated by Jesus dwelling within me and Jesus is grace and I will live by grace through faith it is the gift of God and not because of works we're gonna I say father in Jesus name pray with me make this family a family of grace when people meet us they meet grace they experience love and wisdom and revelation and power make us the nicest people supernaturally nice <laughs> In Jesus' name. Jesus. And for His glory. You guys, we could be the happiest people on the planet. Grace, by the way, one of the words for grace is joy. When you touch somebody today, you're going to loose the gift of joy on them. And I'm telling you, it's, it's intoxicating. So here we go. Sherry gets the first shot. Boom, kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. Sherry, now go around and start sliming people with joy. Yes, yeah, slime people with joy. Slime them with joy, everybody. Double anointing, Janet. Double anointing. Double anointing. Everybody, both hands. Slime people with joy. Slime them. Smear. To be anointed means to be smeared. Smeared. Smeared with joy. Smeared. Smeared with joy. Smeared with love. Smeared with joy. Infection. Smeared. Smear, Chuck. Go crazy, Chuck. Smear. Smear everybody with the joy of the Lord. Woo! Here you go. Come here. The joy of the Lord. The oil of gladness. Bless everybody now. Bless them. Say, Grace, I lose grace upon you now. I lose grace upon you. You're a good looking young man. Grace. What's your name? Jack. Hey, Jack. Receive the grace of God, Jack. I bless you. Bless everybody. What's your name again? Sarama. Oh. Sarama, you are gorgeous. Sarama, go. In the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God. 
The grace of God. Oh, not my shirt. <laughs> not my shirt. Put the oil on my face. Joy of the Lord. Thank you. Yes, you guys. Now we're gonna have a an agape meal, right? Downstairs. Families together. And keep sliming everybody with the grace of God. Real quick. If we can get, if there's a couple guys that can run down and help Lauren real quick and get some chairs and some tables ready. Uh, Matthew. Awesome. Was it okay? Yeah. I'll put this by my stuff. Yeah. Make sure you're up here while we eat, or do you yeah. want me to go take it to the house?